Good morning. Just those words uh, continue going in my head. Oh, how he, he loves us. Today I'm going to be talking to you about uh, contentment. And I think if we could grab hold of the truth of just how much he loves us, I think that would go a long way to help us live lives of contentment. But we struggle in that area. I struggle in that area. I'm, I'm one of those guys who seem to need the latest and the greatest technology. I've always needed the fastest computer, even when the one I have is working just fine. I was one of the first people to ad- adopt those uh, per- PDAs, the personal digital assist- the Palm Pilot. Does anybody remember the Palm Pilot? I had one of the monochromes, and I had one of the colors, probably a couple of those. Then I finally got the Treo, it was the phone and the Palm Pilot. It's great. And there's the MP3 players, those are sort of new. I, I had several of those even before there were iPods, and I've had several iPods, at least five different kinds, you know. I won't even talk to you about cameras and printers and iPads, but I'm getting a little better. I'm getting better. I've had my current computer for almost three years. That could be a record. Uh, and I still have the iPhone 5. Not the, the 6 is out, you know. I could have got that, but no, I'm content, sort of, with my 5. I think it's safe to say that in my life, in the area of technology, I haven't been a very content person. So what about you? Are there areas in your life that you haven't been or you aren't content with? I'm not talking about your spiritual life. As we saw a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, we shouldn't ever be content with our relationship with the Lord. We should always want to know more and more and more of Jesus. We want to know Him more. We want Him to know us and us to know Him. But what about your physical needs or your wants? Are there areas of discontentment? Are you discontent with your material possessions or, or your lack thereof? Are you discontent in some relationship with, with people? Are you discontent with your job? And it goes on. And I'm not saying that we can't seek to improve our lives, to do and be better to seek promotions. But the question is, are we satisfied, are we content with where the Lord has us at this point in time, in these circumstances? Is our heart content? In our passage for today, the Apostle Paul is going to address our need for contentment in this life. He's going to share his contentment with us. Contentment that comes not from getting more and bigger and better stuff, but contentment that comes from God, from His love for us. So would you join me in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. If you want to open your Bibles to there, that would be great. We're in the ESV version, and it's printed in your notes to take notes with, if you'd like. Paul writes in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now at length have revived... I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now, at length, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So this is the, the he's coming, bringing the letter to a conclusion now. As he concludes, he again rejoices in the Lord. This has been a theme throughout, his joy in the Lord. He's overjoyed at this point 
that the Philippians have revived their concern for him. That Greek verb revived is a, is a gardening word. It describes a blooming uh, plant. Paul is saying, there was a time when your concern for me was in full bloom. And I rejoice that that time has returned. It's come back in, into full bloom again. It's been about 10 years since Paul founded the church in uh, Philippians, in Philippi. We read about that about 11, 12 weeks ago in Acts chapter 16 where that took place. And as we'll see in verse 15 of chapter 4, when Paul left Philippi to continue his ministry after he had founded the church, the Philippian believers supported him financially. They were on his support team. This support demonstrated their concern for him and it demonstrated their desire to be uh, to see the gospel go forth, which was what Paul was about. But apparently, as time passed, they had no opportunity to give. Their giving had stopped. They hadn't lost their concern. They had just lost the opportunity to demonstrate that concern. We don't know why they had lost the opportunity. Probably they had just lost contact with Paul. He's traveling around. They can't, he doesn't have a cell phone. Not even an iPhone 3. He doesn't have any cell phones. No, no PayPal so they can send the money to him over in Rome or wherever he is. So they've lost contact with him. But when they found out that Paul is now imprisoned in Rome, their concern is revived. It blooms again and they send Epaphroditus to him with a generous gift. And this causes Paul to rejoice in the Lord. I want us to pause here and think about our first application practical application. Paul was a missionary. First, maybe greatest missionary, many have said. He had sacrificed a normal life in in his home to take the gospel into the Gentile world. He was on the front lines. He was striving to see the gospel go forth. He was even suffering for the gospel. And it brought great joy to his heart, knowing that there were a group of believers in Philippi that were concerned for him. That there were people who were willing to demonstrate their concern by sacrificially giving to his needs. Do you see where I'm going with this? We as a church need to continue to demonstrate our concern for our missionaries by giving to help meet their needs. According to World Magazine, of every dollar given to a Protestant church, we're a Protestant church in case you didn't know, the average amount that goes to missions is two cents, about 2%. Now, you should know that over 20% of the money that you give to Bridges goes to support the missionaries that we send out. And as elders, I think we'd like to see that increase. I don't say this to brag. There are other churches that do even more. I say this to inform you of the, of the ways your monies are being used. We as a church want to take every opportunity to demonstrate our concern for our missionaries. In a couple weeks, we'll have an opportunity. We have this yearly opportunity to send uh, Christmas gifts to our missionaries. Uh, Get on board with that. When they they get those, I, I, having been a missionary and having received gifts from the church, I rejoiced. Not that the chocolate chips were melted, but that there were people here that were concerned For my wife and my family, willing to give sacrificially. Not that there were ants in the candy. Our missionaries, like Paul, rejoice when we demonstrate our concern for them. But let me ask this. Why is Paul rejoicing? 
You might think he's, he's overjoyed because the Philippians are helping him in his great time of need. The gift from the church comes at a very difficult, a hard time in, in Paul's life. Remember, he's a, he's a prisoner. He's in prison in Rome. He's under uh, sort of this house arrest. He's confined to this small house or more like an apartment type thing. He's guarded around the clock by a Roman soldier. In fact, he's probably chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. And when you're imprisoned in Rome, when you were imprisoned in Rome, you needed to provide for yourself. You needed to provide your own food, your own drink. But, but obviously, Paul couldn't work to support himself. Paul was, by trade, a, a tent maker. He made tents by trade. But he couldn't do this. He was under arrest. So, so he was dependent on others to meet his needs. He's probably existing on bare necessities. So when the Philippians read that Paul is rejoicing, that they've sent him this gift, that they probably thought it was because he's finally getting some of his some relief. He's probably getting some better food. His circumstances are, are improving, getting some, maybe some new clothes, maybe the rags that he's wearing. He can, can buy some new clothes. It would seem that Paul is rejoicing because his needs are now being met. But in verse 11, following verse 10, he says uh, really the opposite. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. Paul doesn't want the Philippians to misunderstand. He doesn't want them to think that his joy for their reviving concern for him is coming from the benefit uh, of the gift that's been provided. He doesn't want them to think that, that he was at the end of his rope, that he had no place to turn, and that their gift saved him. He appreciates their gift very much. We'll see that. But he wants them to know that he would have been content even if they hadn't sent it. That's amazing. Verse 11 continues. Not that I'm speaking of being in need for or because I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul's physical, earthly circumstances were extremely difficult. Probably more difficult than most of us have experienced. But that did not cause him discontentment. It didn't matter that he was a prisoner living in a small apartment, chained to a Roman soldier, surviving on a a very sparse diet. None of that affected his contentment. Now, why is that? Because he had learned something. Probably by suffering, probably during times of need, probably during times of want, probably during difficult times, Paul had learned, God had taught him that in whatever situation he found himself, to therein be content. And this is definitely something that I, I, I and we, I'll speak for us, need to learn. So let's think about contentment for a second. What does Paul mean That he'd learned to be content. The Greek for content can mean having enough, not needing anything else, or not being dependent on others. But here in Philippians and in other places in the New Testament, Paul uses this word to mean more than just having enough or or not needing anything. In fact, the contentment that Paul is speaking of is experienced even when you're in need. Even when things are difficult, even when your circumstances could be greatly improved. We see that in verse 12. This is what Paul has learned from the Lord. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. 
What Paul's saying is that he's experienced the highs and the lows of this life. He's lived and ministered in the, in the trenches. Just read the book of Acts and you'll see what he experienced. He was often mocked and ridiculed, physically persecuted, had to run for his life on a number of occasions. He was beaten and thrown into prison several times. And once he was even stoned and, and left for dead. He clearly experienced the lows. He'd been brought low. He'd been humbled. He'd been hungry. He'd been in need. But he also experienced the highs. He, he knew how to abound or live in prosperity. He had plenty. He had been filled. He's experienced abundance. He's had more than enough. And in all these circumstances, the highs and the lows of this life, Paul has learned contentment. So what is biblical contentment? Where does it come from? John MacArthur, in his commentary on this passage, writes what I believe is a, is a great and, and biblical answer. He says, true contentment comes only from God and enables believers to be satisfied and at ease in the midst of any problem. Where does contentment come from? It comes from God. It comes from the Lord. And what is contentment? It's that inner peace. We're reflecting back. If you're here a couple weeks ago, we talked about the peace that passes understanding, that peace that enables us to be satisfied satisfied and at ease in the midst of very difficult times. By turning to and trusting in God to provide for us, we can experience inner peace, satisfaction, even and especially in the midst of difficulties. But unfortunately, unfortunately for us, unfortunately in our culture, this is rarely seen, this kind of contentment. We don't have great examples of contentment. Paul's attitude of contentment is in many ways incomprehensible to our consumer-oriented, personal success-oriented culture. People are not content whether they have little or whether they have much. In fact, it seems that the wealthiest are often the most miserable and discontented. According to the Wall Street Journal, a new study co-founded by, co-founded, co-funded by the Gates Foundation shows that the ultra-rich shows the ultra-rich as lost souls burdened by fears, worries, and family distortions of too much money. The ultra-rich turn out to be a generally dissatisfied lot whose money has contributed to deep anxieties involving love, work, and family. Indeed, indeed they are frequently dissatisfied even with their sizable fortunes. It seems that in in our culture, whether you're rich or poor or somewhere in between, there's an obsession with getting and, and being more and more and more. Getting and buying, having become the number one priority in the lives of, of many. I need a better job, a nicer car, a bigger home, more money in the bank, more toys in the garage, more, 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 a bigger TV, a better cell phone, a faster computer, a longer vacation a more comfortable retirement. I need to be fulfilled. I need to express myself. I need for others to know how awesome I am. And the list goes on of of what I need. And when these needs aren't met, or even when they seemingly are, we're not satisfied. There's still more stuff to get, more ways to improve my life. Like a donkey running, running after a carrot on a stick, people are desperately chasing the contentment That is always just out of reach. They can't find contentment because they don't know where to turn. 
Remember, true contentment comes from God, thanks. God, the Lord. And our culture as a whole denies the Lord's existence. We, if not our atheists, are often practical atheists. We do not live as if God exists. And when you deny God, then humanity, yourself, becomes the most important thing. And the goal of life becomes not glorifying God, but getting what you want. As the saying goes, he who dies with the most toys wins. And unfortunately, we as Christians are not immune to the influence of the world around us. We can find ourselves falling into this trap of, of discontentment, seeking to fill the void of our li- in our lives with material things and personal achievements instead of filling it with the Lord, trusting in the Lord to bring contentment to our lives. So let me give you the bottom line. When you're faced with discontentment, if you're not satisfied with something in your life, instead of seeking more stuff, more earthly things, more security, more personal pride, instead of seeking a way out of the dissatisfying circumstances, seek more of Jesus. Seek more of the Lord. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Or it's in relationship with Christ alone. It's, it's in knowing Christ that we find contentment with our earthly circumstances. Now, is this ability to be content is in every circumstance? I mean, Paul said he had to learn it. He, he, he didn't, on the Damascus Road, apparently he didn't get uh, contentment right away. It's something you have to learn. Is it, it's difficult. That's why I believe Paul says in verse 13, he points to the key to where he how he learned this contentment or became content. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Well, no, very well-known verse. Maybe you've memorized this verse. Maybe you've written it down. Maybe you've claimed this as a promise. I think we often, though, take this verse way out of context. The context is what we've been studying here. The context is, is being content is dealing with difficult circumstances. I can do all, I can deal with all things through Christ who strengthens, all things that come my way through Christ who strengthens me. But, but this verse has often become a, a Christian superhero verse. We use it to say, with God's help, I can get or be or have or accomplish anything I want. I can be all I can be. I can, I can buy that new house. New car, new computer, I can start a new business. I can get that new job with better pay and a longer vacation. I can get better grades in school. I was listening to sports talk radio this past week on Friday, and the the host was interviewing an athlete. I I didn't catch who it was even. The athlete had, though, uh, apparently a lot of uh, tattoos. And the host asked him, which was your your first tattoo? And he replied quickly, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is a popular tattoo for not only athletes, but for for many people. And the meaning that most take from this, I'm not saying that you can't have a tattoo and understand the true meaning, but the meaning that most seem to take from this verse is, is God will help me accomplish all my goals and dreams. That's what he's there for, isn't it? He'll strengthen me so I can do what I want to do. God will give me strength to make to make the team, to score more touchdowns, to win the game. You see how that is maybe even the opposite of what Paul's trying to say? 
That all, the all things Paul's talking about are in context of being uh, content with any and every circumstance in your life. What Paul is saying is that no matter how great a difficulty comes upon me, I'm able to be content in all things because of the strength I receive from the Lord. The Lord strengthens me that I'm content. Paul was strong enough to endure anything because of the one who strengthened him. In the words of Isaiah, He, the Lord, gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. What Isaiah means and what Paul means is not that God will give you the strength to do and have and be all you can be. What they mean is that God's power and strength that indwells his people is far more sufficient to strengthen and sustain them amidst all of life's difficult circumstances. In his book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, Jeremiah Burroughs writes, A Christian finds satisfaction in every circumstance by getting strength from another, by going out of himself to Jesus Christ, by his faith acting upon Christ and bringing the strength of Jesus Christ into his own soul. He is thereby enabled to bear whatever God lays on him by the strength that he finds from Jesus Christ. True contentment comes only to those who are strengthened by the Lord. And the Lord gives a strength to those who are seeking more and more and more of Him. The pursuit of knowing Christ will result in true contentment in this earthly life. Amen? Amen. So Paul is rejoicing that the Philippians send him a gift. That they've they've revived their concern for him. But he makes it clear that he didn't exactly need it. That he, he's learned the secret of contentment in this physical life. That he can endure thing, all things, not because of their gift, but because of Christ who strengthens me. Now you can see how the Philippians might uh, sort of misunderstand. You mean, we weren't, what, are, what are you saying? Were we not supposed to send you this gift? I mean, that, isn't that what we were supposed to do? We thought we were doing right. We thought we were helping you out. And so Paul doesn't want them to misunderstand, so he goes on. In verse 14, and he says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Paul says, You know, I'm content in all circumstances. Yet, nevertheless, the NIV says, uh, Paul wants them to know that he appreciates their great kindness and their sacrifice. The Philippians were not a group of rich believers with just a bunch of money laying around they could send off. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul talks about their extreme poverty. Their extreme poverty. So despite their poverty, they had sent a sacrificial. When you're in poverty and you give to others, it's a sacrifice. They had sacrificially given to Paul. So to make certain that the Philippians didn't misunderstand him, Paul reassures them that it was kind, it was good, it was honorable for them to share in his trouble. Don't get me wrong, Philippians. It's a good thing to give sacrificially. He continues to reassure them in verses 15, 16. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, Paul takes them back 10 years. He says uh, to, the, to the time when, when he first came to Philippi and preached the gospel. 
when his ministry concluded and he left Macedonia. Macedonia is the province where Philippi is located, kind of like the state. When Paul left the Philippians, they wanted to join his support team. Hey, we want to support you in in your ongoing ministry. Verse 15 continues, No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Paul had given to them, they had received, and now they're giving back to him. The Philippians were unique among the churches that Paul planted. They were a group of new believers who had committed to seeing the gospel go forth. They, the impact that Christ had made in their life, they wanted to see happen in the lives of others, and they were willing to support Paul, the, the, the apostle to the Gentiles, as he went forth and carried the gospel. They became Paul's partners in ministry, in giving and receiving. Verse 16 continues, Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my need once again. Just a, just a quick map there. Thessal- see there, Philippi up at the top, and then right down to Thessalonica. Both are in Macedonia. So even before Paul left Macedonia, when he left Philippi, they supported him. They, were, they, they wanted the Thessalonians to hear the gospel. They were clearly a generous, sacrificial group of believers. And Paul wants them uh, to know he recognizes and commends their support. But again, he wants them to understand that he's not, on, that, that he's not only or even mainly, he's not just rejoicing in the fact that he's received a gift. In fact, and this is crucial for us to understand in the area of giving. We don't talk a lot about giving here. We don't pass the offering plate. We have the box there. We let the members and regular attenders know that's where you're to give. This this does cost money to do this thing. But Paul, and, and, and I believe we as a church, want us to understand this, this important thing about giving. From God's perspective... From Paul, which Paul understood, giving is much more about the giver than the receiver. I think that's why we don't talk about it that much. It's really about you and God working in you. Paul says in verse 17, Not that I seek the gift, it's not about me, the receiver, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. It's about what you receive when you give. When you give, you receive something, Paul says, and I'm rejoicing in that. I'm rejoicing that you're getting this fruit. Paul was not after their money. Their gift brought Paul joy, not because of his personal material benefit that came to him, but because of the spiritual benefit that came to them. He wanted to to see the fruit that increases to their credit. This word credit is an accounting term. I'm not an accountant, but debits and credits, and they're getting a credit. He wanted them to benefit from their sacrificial giving. Uh, If you're not giving, you're missing out on a benefit. There's a principle here. It's found throughout Scripture, and the principle is this. Those who give generously will be blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? We'll talk about that in a second. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 22.9, A generous man will himself be blessed. For he shares his food with the poor. Luke 6.38, Jesus said, Give and it will be given to you. Good good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. To the Corinthians, Paul wrote, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Scripture is very clear that when you give, you can expect a blessing. 
fruit that increases to our credit. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, I hope it's clear. I hope it's clear from the context, from the Philippians who are in extreme poverty, from Paul who's in prison, not with much. I hope it's clear from the context that Paul doesn't mean that when you give, it it will necessarily uh, be returned to you materially. Paul's talking about a spiritual benefit. I think he's talking about what Jesus talked about in Matthew 6, 19-21. Jesus said this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. By supporting Paul, by giving of their treasures on earth, by supporting his ministry, the the Philippians were laying up treasures in their heavenly account. They were getting heavenly credit. When we give to care for the needs of others, when we give to see the gospel go forth, when we give to our church, when we send and support missionaries, we are storing treasures in heaven. Now what these treasures, or or fruit, as Paul talks about them, uh, are, I'm not totally sure. But I'm sure of two things. First, there are some treasures, some fruit in heaven for those who give sacrificially to the work of the Lord. What exactly the treasures are? What we'll do with them? I, I tend to think, I tend to think that we'll be We'll get these treasures and then in, in, to glorify God, we'll just return them to Him and that'll be our greatest blessing, that we have something to give to the Lord. I don't know. But I can guarantee you, whatever treasures are being stored in heaven for you are eternal. They pale, uh, uh, the treasures of this earth pale in comparison to what Jesus has in store for those who give sacrificially here. So first... There are treasures, there's fruit waiting in heaven for those who give to the work of the Lord. And second, Jesus says, I want to emphasize, I know that where my treasures are, there my heart will be also. And I believe that Jesus is saying more than just when you store up treasures in heaven, you demonstrate where your heart is. Yes, he's saying that. If you're storing up treasures in heaven, then that's what you're thinking about. You're a citizen of of heaven. You want your treasures to be in heaven. But But I think by storing up treasures in heaven, by giving sacrificially to the Lord, I think I'm allowing the Lord in. I'm allowing the Lord to transform my heart, my desires, my longings, what I care about. Transform my longings from this world to His kingdom in heaven. When you give to the things of the Lord, God works in your heart. He changes your focus. You become less a citizen of the earth and more a citizen of heaven. And you know what the result is? You become more content. You become more content with less of the world and less content with what you know of Jesus. You want to know and have less of the world. You want to know and have more of Jesus. And brothers and sisters, that's where we want our hearts to be. So like the Philippians, give generously, give sacrificially to the work of the Lord that your heart might be transformed by Him, that you might be content. Paul continues, 
thanking them. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. This statement is, is really Paul's receipt. He's given him a receipt for the gift. You've given me and more. The, the, the gratitude continues. Paul continues to express his gratitude for their gift by using uh, the sacrificial languages from the Old Testament, from the Old Covenant. Having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The Philippians' gift, even though Paul is content without it, they needed to give it. It's a, it's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Their giving was a sacrificial act of worship to the Lord. As new covenant believers, we no longer offer animal sacrifices. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but we're still required to sacrifice to the Lord. What kind of sacrifices? In Romans 12.1 we think, uh, okay, we got away for something. We don't have to go down to the temple. We don't have to raise a little lamb. Mary or Patty had a little lamb. Its fleece was wet. We don't have to do that. Amen. But like in all things, check this out. Like in all things, the Old Testament law, we think, oh, we're, we're out from under that. Uh, but the New Testament ratchets it up a little bit. You don't have to raise a lamb. There's something else, though, you have to sacrifice. Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. No more lambs, goats, pigeons, or doves. Yourself. You have to lay yourself, give yourself to God. Our bodies, all of, all of who we are is given in sacrifice to the Lord. We are not our own. We're bought with a price Everything we do should be done in light of offering ourselves as a sacrifice to the Lord. And the writer of Hebrews, he gives us some detail on what that might look like. He says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess His name, and do not forget to, to do good and to share with others, for, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Our sacrifice to God involves the praise of our lips. Praising God, confessing His name, telling others about Jesus Christ. Our, our sacrifice, you might not know this, when you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone else, that's a sacrifice that you're giving to the Lord. You're laying it down before Him. I want to tell people about you, Jesus. You're worthy. And it also involves doing good, sharing what you have with others. It involves giving. Your giving is a sacrifice. This is what pleases God, and this is what the believers in Philippi were, were about. This is what they were doing. By giving financially to Paul, they were offering a good and pleasing sacrifice to the Lord. It was about them. Paul didn't need it. He was content, but they needed to give it for themselves as a sacrifice to the Lord. I, I think... That's a great word for us today. Our giving to the work of the Lord is a good and pleasing sacrifice to Him for what He's done for us. Now, as I conclude, I'd like to tie two things together that Paul's been saying. What are the two things Paul's been talking about? First, he's been thanking the Philippians for their generous sacrificial gift. He's been talking about giving. And second, he's been talking about contentment. 
his own personal contentment, even in difficult times, even when he's in need, even if he hadn't received their gift. So how does giving and contentment go together? I think the answer is this. Those who are content with little, those who are content with little in this world are able to give much in light of the next. Those who are content with little in this world are able to give much in light of the next world. If we're a discontent people, if we always want more and bigger and better stuff and things, then we use the resources that God has given us to seek in vain our own contentment with the things of this world. But if we're content with little, if we're content with little as far as our earthly needs go, then that frees us up to use the resources God gives us for His purposes, to care for the needs of others, to see the Gospels go forth in in this neighborhood and to the ends of the earth. If we're content with little, then we can use our resources to build the kingdom of God. So it's my prayer for myself and for us that we would be a church of content people. Content with the circumstances God places us in. Content with the, the things we have who we are, that we would learn the secret of contentment, that we would be willing to use what God has given us, not to further our own personal dreams and goals, but to further His kingdom for His glory. Would you pray with me to that end? Father God, thank You for for Your Word. Lord, make us a content people, that we would be content with the circumstances of our lives. Not that we don't seek to improve them, but that in our heart of hearts we're content with where you have us. We're willing to use the things that you give us, not for our own personal gain, but for the kingdom of God, for your glory, Lord. Help us to uh, have right priorities in this. Use us to be like the uh, church in Philippi, a, a giving church. A church willing to send and support missionaries. A church that's willing uh, to sacrifice for the needs of others. Help us to be like that in Christ's name. Amen. I just wanted to say before the worship team concludes with a song. So, so I was planning to conclude Philippians today. But if you have a Bible, you know there's some more verses. There's 19 through 23. And especially 19, I started adding that and the sermon just got way too long because 19 is a, is a big deal. And my God will supply every need of yours to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's something we need, to, we need to talk about. So next week, we'll talk a little bit about that and then we'll do a little review. We'll do something a little different. So come next week and we're going to review our time in Philippians. God bless you.